is Thursday, October 3rd, and welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a behind-the-scenes look at the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. And this week, my guest is actress and director Miss Tanya Kay. And this was a really interesting conversation because it wasn't so much about her actual career and the movies she's done and the show she's appeared in, but it was more of a kind of a journey through her life and how she got to where she is now from growing up in a small farming community to becoming an actress, director, producer, and having that strong support system in her parents and growing up with kind of an artistic and entertainer background with her parents being in community theater and her wanting to be a dancer at an early age. It was a really enlightening story because it shows that with enough drive and determination, you can get what you want and you can achieve your dreams. So I very much enjoyed it. Uh, We also talked about a film that she directed that I found really fascinating because of how it was made. It's called Ascension of Ava Delane, and it's entirely shot on a drone as one continuous take. It sounds like a really huge undertaking And I know from my experience with the Parker syndrome, with doing one scene as, you know, a oneer as they like to call it, um, that was challenging enough. I can't imagine doing an entire short film as one continuous take. So I I thought that was fantastic. But hopefully you guys enjoy this conversation. I got a lot out of it. And hopefully you aspiring filmmakers, actors, and entertainers do as well. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Tanya Kay. Happy to be joined with my special guest this week, actress, director, and producer, Miss Tanya Kay. How are you today? Hi, Derek. This is a wonderful day. Thanks for having me on. No, absolutely. So I wanted to get started, you know, right from the very beginning. Um, where are you originally from and where did you grow up? I'm originally from a farm town in Michigan, grew up in that same farm town in southern Michigan. Uh, and then I moved on over to Indiana for a second, uh, another, uh, this was more like an industrial town, but farm town, and then got to Chicago, got to New York, got to Turin for nine years, and now I'm in Los Angeles. Was there a, a particular reason why you were moving around so much? Uh, yeah, work, uh, of course. I knew in the small town there's not really any work for a performer, um, and that's what I was focused on back then was uh, professional dance, singing, acting, and hosting. And, yeah, this farm town doesn't have the industry, any industry, for entertainers uh, like that. Uh, so essentially I, I went to the cities. I went to all the cities that have industry enough population that I felt like I could make my living performing on stage or acting on film and television. And, uh, each one taught me something different. This is cool because I have lived and worked in so many places. Uh, I can kind of, you know, analyze the character of each of these cities and like Chicago was the place where I learned that entertainers can have a normal life. And my friends, stage entertainers, musical theater performers, sing, dance, act, sometimes legit theater performers, 
which just means not musical. Um, we had, or not, I didn't because I was too transient, but they had families and cars and houses. And that's Chicago. Like a performer that's working can actually afford to live a normal life. And that was a wonderful lesson to learn. And then I got to New York and there my lesson I take away was how to make meaningful art. So I felt like audiences in New York were really looking for the meaning of what I was doing. So I was uh, in several shows there, including Stomp and De La Guarda. And De La Guarda, I um, did in New York, but mostly I did it in Las Vegas. They shipped me out to Las Vegas. And the audiences couldn't be more different. Like the New York audience, literally the same material, were sitting there trying to make it mean something, and they loved the art of it. In Vegas, it was like, show us your tits. So, you know, that's a different city and a different audience and the same art. Uh, when I got to Los Angeles, uh, out here, I think the lesson for the entertainment industry is how to do business. So it's cool that you're good to work with. It's cool that you have this long resume. It's cool that you're talented, as, but like the business part of it. How are you going to let other people know? That's really that's really prevalent. That's prominent here in Los Angeles. So Chicago is where I learned entertainers can be normal people. New York is where I learned to make art and meaningful art. And Los Angeles is where I learned to do business. And in the meantime, I did tour for nine years just exclusively all over the place. Um, didn't have even keys. I didn't even own keys to anything because I had it with me. And um, that was fascinating because I didn't get to live in all these cities we went to, but I did get to uh, acknowledge their, their audience uh, kind of demographic and, and attitude. And it's different across the nation too. Uh, but the big cities, that's why I'm here. Uh, big cities have enough of a population that generally I can, I can work consistently as an entertainer or in the entertainment industry. Right. No, that that's awesome that throughout all your various travels and the places you've been to, that you've taken something from everywhere you've been to. That that almost sounds like the plot of a movie in and of itself. You know, telling like someone's life story is learning various lessons. I mean, that's that's what life should be, and I, I think that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm in this because I'm fascinated with humanity. Uh, I didn't say I love humanity. I'm just fascinated <laughs> by humans and. And I think acting specifically and directing to some degree is, is this a really noble pursuit where you are so fascinated with what the experience would be like to be somebody else that you're willing to give up your personality just to become someone else. And that's a really, um, it takes a lot of empathy to do that. When I become a villain or when I become, uh, I don't know, a, a rotten person that's not like me in real life at all but I am empathizing with that type of person and it just helps you uh acting and directing help you understand humans better so yeah I'm fascinated with humans I'm always I'm always studying and and seeing what makes them tick and what 
how do I fit in here? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we're interesting species to to say the least. But um, I wanted to backtrack a little bit. You mentioning you know going to all these various places. Did you know from an early age that you wanted to be in the in the entertainment industry? Yes. I was, I, like I said, I grew up in a farm town, so there wasn't a ton of of uh, examples or, or opportunities for an entertainer uh, or a filmmaker. But I did naturally show my inclinations really young. Like my mom caught me boogieing in front of the television when I was four, and I was dancing to these um you know, tap dancers on Star Search. They were rocking it. It was a duet and they tap danced without music. And my mom saw me boogieing and she said, do you know what acapella means? And I said, no, I was four years old. She said, it means without music. And that's when I learned like this really special word to me. Um, still today, I, I look at like tap, tap. She got me into tap classes like the next day because she saw that I was going to love this stuff. But yeah, so, um, you know, acapella, the music is actually coming from their tap shoes. They don't need the music. But anyway, I became a tap dancer really young. Uh, then I moved on with all the other forms of dance, and I was good at it right away. Meanwhile, my parents uh, did community theater, and they just brought me with them. So I was dancing, singing, acting with my family. It was like a family pastime and we would do it together in the community theater. And that was like, I was six years old. And then they got a VHS camera and at home that allowed me to choreograph and direct and write all of these sketches, sketch comedy. I made a claymation film that won big, big awards. And that's funny because it was just a VHS camera. So there's no digital settings where you can start and stop to get all these different frames of the stop motion claymation. So I was like this kid who was just pressing manually the start and stop button. It's not very uh, specific, you know, <laughs> the, the, the frames would be different durations according to whatever my humanness would allow, you know, the start and stop to take place. Uh, but it still did well still really ambitious so I was making films when I was a kid I was doing community theater I was taking my dance classes um, my mom I mean it was everything to me uh, my mom saw that like I was taking so many dance classes that my family kind of couldn't afford it so she said uh, why don't you uh, get a job and so I got a job. My first job was teaching dance at the dance studio. So I started teaching dance when I was really young. And then eventually I I started auditioning for professional theater up in Detroit and booked it. I didn't even, I couldn't even drive yet. And I'm working for a paycheck, <laughs> missing school and working for a paycheck in the arts. So, yeah, I definitely knew young. Um, more more so, I just displayed the symptoms of being an artist young. Well, I feel like you almost couldn't help it to a point because, like you said, your parents were in community theater. So growing up around it, and, and I think it sounds like it, it helped and them being so supportive of it and taking you to dancing classes and you doing community theater with them. And that's awesome about using the camera to make the 
the stop motion claymation thing. So you were being even innovative as a kid. That's awesome. Yeah. And it is important um, that my parents were supportive. I'm not saying I couldn't have done it had they not been, but that did play a big role, especially because I was a farm town kid. And there's like, there's sometimes there's support from your farm town, but it's almost like at a certain point, my school, I was valedictorian too. I was a little brainiac and my school was not supportive of me continuing on. So I had to all day at the school, which I was missing because I was already working as a professional entertainer in Detroit. Like they, they weren't supportive. They want, they didn't want to let me out of school to live my dreams. They also, um, I had to field arguments with my own guidance counselor telling me I was screwing up my life and that, you know, I have to have a plan B at least. And I was like, what kind of support is that? Telling people that the arts and their dream isn't, isn't good enough, you know? So that, that did happen as well in the small town. Um, but as soon as I got out of there, I pretty much went to Chicago and there was no more, there was no more contradiction for your dreams. Uh, you dream it, you follow it, you pursue it. My parents still support me to this day and, uh, not, not financially. I'm talking about like, you know, support me emotionally and through my career path. And yeah, that was really important because there wasn't a ton of support outside of my family in the farm town. And and sometimes having the support of your parents is really all that matters because their opinions really the only ones that do matter at times. Yeah, you don't know you don't know that you are an independent human being yet. So yeah. you really you really rely on your on your parents. But if you don't have parents, so you know, I'm thinking of young people um who might be, you know, without a parent or maybe their parents work so hard and it's a different scenario, maybe they're not getting the same support. Uh I just I think it's important to at least find who can support you, even if it's peers, your friends believe in you, or maybe there's a teacher somewhere that can believe in you. Just takes, it just takes one other voice, you know, saying you can do it. And to some degree, I didn't have this when I was a kid, but social media, like everybody's got a phone. Maybe there are genuine relationships you can make on social media with friends who support you. Um, you got to have somebody to support you. So look for that is what I would say to young entertainers and entertainment industries, pre-professionals. Yeah, something that I've been learning through my very brief now venture into the filmmaking side of things, finding a support system and if that person or people can also be a mentor as well. You know, if you don't have it from the parental side of things, if you have it from a friend or a coworker that can even mentor you and what you want to do, I, I think, you know, adds so much to it as well. Yeah. And there's, there's uh, opportunities for mentorship all over the place. For example, um, maybe in your farm town, <laughs> you're not going to, you, maybe you won't find somebody who knows how to make a resume for, for, for acting or directing. It's a whole nother resume. Like a, it, maybe you don't know anybody who knows how to make entertainment industry resumes, but you can still allow them to mentor you with what they do know. Somebody knows something that can help. And after you 
grow up a little bit, you realize that listening to everyone, it behooves you. It helps you. It doesn't mean you have to do whatever they say. You listen, you take it in. Um, maybe you learn how to do their type of resume or you learn how they get jobs. There's something applicable from everyone. So there's, there's mentors everywhere. It's just a matter of how well you listen and how well, you know, how well you apply it appropriately to your path. Right. No, I, I absolutely agree uh, 100%. I'm kind of switching to some of your career accomplishments. There was one thing that I wanted to ask you about um, from a director side of things. Um, you directed uh, a short called The Ascension of Ava Delaney, and hopefully I'm saying that name correctly. It was a five-minute, one-continuous shot with a drone. How did you pull that off, and, and what gave you the idea to do it? Because that, that sounds like a pretty massive undertaking. <laughs> It's, a, it's another one of those really innovative things. I couldn't, I couldn't just write a movie and go make it. I had to concept the hardest way to make a movie that's never been done before. <laughs> um, innovation. Uh, the Ascension of Ava Delane, which won just won the AT&T Shape Film Award. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. It's a big deal. <laughs> big deal. Big ceremony at Warner Brothers Studios. I did get mentorship from director Kathy Yan, who just did Birds of Prey. And there was a cash prize and a screening. It was a really cool experience. That was an amazing experience and has connected me with people in technology that I probably wouldn't find out about as just a filmmaker. So there was really neat connections that came from that. The Ascension of Ava Delane, uh is a five-minute, single-take narrative film that was shot entirely on DJI-inspired 2 drone with a Zenmuse camera. Uh, And I made it happen (laughs) because I wanted to use emerging technology. And I wanted to use emerging technology in a way that nobody had ever seen before. So... I decided I'm not just doing a drone film. I'm doing a hundred percent drone film and I'm doing a single take drone film. And I discovered that that was what it was going to be by calling everyone that I knew that had a relationship to drones. So cinematographers or just flyers, um, called them, asked them, Oh, what's easy with the drone. Okay, cool. That's good to know. What's hard with the drone? What have you never seen done before ever with the drone? What would be cool to see? Where would the danger be? Is there physical danger in trying to do this with a drone? And there was so much information coming from my connections, my friends. Uh, They just uh, mentored me in a really generous way. And then when I had got done assembling all of the information that I had received from these generous people, then I took it to my writer and I said, here's what it looks like. Here's what the shots are. Write the story. So this came out, it's, it's technology first <laughs> and then um, the narrative. And she's such an amazing writer. Her name's Shola Evans, and she wrote it within six hours. Um, but 24 hours, it was finished, and she got me the script that made my shots make sense. 
So we weren't, you've seen drones do horizontal movements and you can see some pretty long takes with a drone um, doing horizontal flying across the landscape. But um, ours is narrative. It's not docu. So, uh, and our drone went up. So we told the story through ascending the ascension and uh, we peered into voyeuristically into vignettes in different windows in in this building that was five stories tall the top floor was a rooftop and so we start on the ground our lead actress uh changes clothes to represent a different decade and a different set of emotions between every floor and she appears meeting the drone it's like choreography meeting the drone in these windows and so there were five stops where the drone needed to meet and meanwhile she's behind the scenes like just jamming because this is single take we're not cutting uh, jamming, changing clothes to end during uh, sunset on the rooftop. So we literally only got three takes uh, that were usable um, because of the sunset issue. And it was hard. It was choreography. It was rehearsal. We rehearsed for days ahead of time. Probably the one of the hardest things was finding a location because, as you can imagine, not only did it need, uh, you know, floor, uh, I mean, street level, floor one, floor two, uh, several windows and a rooftop, but it also had to have the internal stairs really pressed up to the face of the building. I couldn't be uh, running back to the back of the building on a single take, changing clothes and coming back to the front. So it had to all happen very quickly. So that location find was one of the most difficult and expensive things of making this film. Uh, but it all came together. Uh, we're really proud of the work we did. This is something that nobody's ever seen before. And um, in that way, it's super experimental. And we've gotten a lot of best concept awards, like acknowledging our concept, acknowledging our use of drones, you know, mobile. Uh, and filmmaker, I got a best first time filmmaker award. Now, I've been making films, don't get me wrong, forever, but this was kind of the first one that I put out to festivals that I that I wanted people to take a look at and give me their feedback on, you know? Yeah, no, and I bet it was very rewarding when you saw the final product, and you know, it sounds like there was a lot of work that was put into it, you know, by you and everyone else, but when you do something that's that monumental, there, there's got to be a, a huge feeling of gratitude when you see it completed and, you know, the success it's already had. Yeah. Yeah. And all of us, I really am thankful for the cast and crew. Um, our sound designer, Jamie Billings. Uh, I had a executive producer, uh, co-executive co producer, Dennis Ho, um, even the post-production digital jungle and our uh, drone operators, our cinematographer, Andrea Chamberlain, uh, Michael Kofsky was uh, also operating. Uh, it was a duet of operation. And I think of all these people who made it happen and nobody knows how it's going to turn out because it's not just like shooting a short film, you know. So all of us were really clueless. We just did what we had to do to make it happen. And it did turn out wonderfully. And that's what makes me feel, you know, pride or warmth in my heart because all of us were in the 
Who knows? And by the way, I made this on a self-funded budget, essentially. Myself and Dennis Ho funded it, and we didn't have, I mean, it was expensive, and we didn't have, you know, it was deferred payment to everybody. So it was really cool to get a cash prize from one of these festivals, AT&T Shape, and that allowed me to make some deferred payments to my crew. And how often does that happen? Never. I'm Very an actor. Rarely. Like you, ne- if you if you do something for free, you never get money back. And it's like not this time, people. <laughs> that's great. That that's really great. No. Yeah. Uh, it's an interesting concept when you think about it. Is that in a way, I feel like you were using, you were telling the story, you know, obviously through the actors' performances and whatnot, but. It's really cool when you can use the camera to tell the story that you're wanting to convey. And that, that, that to me seems like, you know, one of the most impressive things about, you know, what you're telling me about it is using every aspect. Because a lot of people will just come up with cool shots for the sake of coming up with cool shots. But when you use it to tell emotion and you tell the story that you want through camera movement, it just it's filmmaking on a whole different level, in my opinion. It really is. And, you know, that's where my dance background comes in, is I love the movement. I want to choreograph the camera to be a character in everything that I create. I want it to be exciting. I want there to be a lot of movement. In my life, there's movement all the time. I don't just sit down behind a desk. I don't just sit. I'm driving or walking or doing something. And it's beautiful the way movement also expresses that. And have you seen um, one of my favorite films for this exact purpose is uh, Baby Driver, Edgar Mm -hmm. Wright? Yep. Oh, my gosh. The first, I don't know how long it lasted, but like at least 30 minutes before there was a shift in story, he used movement of the camera, a really long shot, like a single take. Well, what appeared to be a single take. Uh, um, lots of, lots of movement, lots of bravery with that. Oh, that cinematographer, like, good job. That must've been an athletic workout. That is what I aspire (laughs) to just storytelling through the cinematography and the camera work that is essentially choreography with your actors. Another cool thing about that movie. And I agree with you a hundred percent about the camera movements and, and all that stuff, but even the music I felt like really set the tone for it as well, because the, to me, the music was almost like its own character in a way. I, I love that soundtrack. Yeah. And he wrote that character to always be listening mm-hmm. to his headphones. So it was not, it was not really a scored film. It was more like song, song, song. And that it was exciting it made it musical that he was always listening to music. I don't know how you can get away with that. If one of your characters isn't always listening to music, but we'll see. Yeah, no, it it was, I remember hearing so much about that movie before I actually saw it. And you know, all the hype that I had heard about it was, was validated. If no one's seen it, definitely check out baby driver. It's a, it's a really, really good movie. Yeah. Do not hesitate. Go watch baby driver. Absolutely. As soon as you finish listening to this podcast, go watch Baby Driver. But um, I wanted to, as we start to wrap up, I always like to ask all my guests this uh, before we wrap up. Uh, and we've talked a lot in the beginning, especially about you know your background and 
having a supportive family and kind of growing up around the performing arts. What is one piece of advice you could give to someone who aspires to be, you know, in the same field that you are, whether it's filmmaking, if they want to go into dance, any type of like any aspect of that in the entertainment industry, what is one piece of advice you could give? For me, my approach, not everyone's is going to be this, but there's no plan B. Don't plan for failure. Plan A, make it work. And then you've got to be so passionate about it. You've got to be that passionate that there is no way to fail. You know? Mm -hmm. Don't listen to all the other people who are like, oh, no. Make sure you, you have a plan B because you probably will fail or you might fail. or Don't even think about that. Figure it out. Make it work. When, when plan A is the only way that you are going to get food in your mouth, <laughs> then you're going to make it work. That's how I did it. Maybe not for everybody, but I never let, oh, I have to have this much money saved up before I move to L.A. Never let that, never entered my mind. If I want to go to L.A., I go to L.A., you know, and make it work. I slept on people's couches in New York for a long time before I had my own apartment stuff like that it's uh the society has so many um you know rules that they think oh your life is your life is good if you have this and buy this and there's as an artist with a long-term career in the entertainment industry uh I've had to just kind of give the middle finger to every single one of those society rules they don't know what makes me happy, and I'm not less of a person for not having those things either. No, that's awesome advice. That's giving the middle finger to society is a great way of putting it. I love that quote. Uh, last thing, do you have any website or social media you'd like to plug so the listeners can follow you? Oh yeah, I'm all over the place. Uh, my name is spelled T O N Y A K A Y dot com. And you can go check out my acting and my directing work on that website. It also links you to all of my social media. So I'm on Instagram under Pure Renegade. I'm on Twitter under Tanya K. And I'm on uh, Facebook under Tanya K as well, T-O-N-Y-A-K-A-Y. It's actually slash brutally elegant if you're old school and actually type in the handle. Um, yeah, and I'm available to interact on social media. That's where I love to meet fans and I love to meet interested people and, and have good conversation. Awesome. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for taking the time to do this interview. It was great. You bet. Thank you, Derek. Thank you. Thanks again to Tanya K for coming on the show. Be sure to check out her website, tanyak.com, to find out what she'll be up to next. And speaking of next, this upcoming weekend, I'll be appearing at Fanaticon, which will be held at the Dothan Civic Center in Dothan, Alabama, October 4th through the 6th. It's going to be a lot of fun. Some of the names that will be there include Wrestling Hall of Fame broadcaster Jim Ross, the voice of Space Ghost George Lowe, the voice of Squidward Roger Bumpus, and so many more. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully I'll get to meet some new faces as well as get reacquainted with some familiar ones. I was actually at the first Fanaticon back in 2013 as part of the Nerd Cave podcast. So it'll be exciting to go back to Fanaticon. I haven't been uh, since 2014, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And as far as next week's episode goes, I'm sure it will be Fanaticon-related in some way. 
I don't know if it's going to be a compilation of interviews that I do or if I'm going to do individual episodes dedicated to individual interviews for the next couple of weeks. I'm not entirely sure yet, but you'll have to follow me on social media to find out. That will be Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. If you want to check out past episodes of the show, you can check it out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience, and please leave a review. Uh, The more reviews I get, the more visible I become to the podcasting public, which helps the exposure of the show. And in closing, I'd like to say thanks, as always, to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Their songs Late Night drive Through" and Light and Jazzy can be found on their latest album, Greetings from the Space Van, which is available on Apple Music, Google Play, and Spotify. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks once again to Tanya Kay. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Hopefully I'll see you at Fanaticon. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Thursday.